We're in Matthew chapter 6, the heart questions. Uh, life, life is full of decisions based on what we value. What we treasure is determined by our worldview, the way that we, we see things. Inevitably, we will give our lives to what we worship, to what we consider to be worthy of devotion. This is inescapable. Human beings will worship. We worship whether we are religious or irreligious. Like many Canadians, one of my dreams was to purchase a home. A home is a good thing, right? So a home is a place where your family can live securely. It builds equity. A number of years ago, I scrapped some money together for a down payment, what I thought would be a reasonable down payment. I did a little bit of research on variable and fixed mortgages, and I secured a mortgage, bought a home. Good thing. After time, some time, I noticed that the mortgage was actually taking on a life of itself within my soul. It was starting to determine the kind of decisions I was making. It was determining my priorities, my stress level, my emotions. Sometimes even would influence the kind of vacation our family would go on. I realized that the payment of the, of the, of the mortgage had actually become a heart treasure. What do you treasure? What should we treasure? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, he is contrasting treasures on earth with treasure in heaven, darkness with light, mammon with God. He sets the false over against the true in order that he might help us see clearly. And the understanding is that if we listen to Jesus, we'll have what we need in order to make the right decision. It's just a question of wisdom. Wisdom. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. There's a play on words in the original. What it says is, do not treasure for yourselves treasure on earth, treasure for yourselves treasure in heaven. Treasure, of course, is what we value, what we consider to be of worth in life. We will value something. We will treasure something. That's just the way that we're wired. We will treasure something. The question is, what will we treasure? Our attention is drawn to the comparative durability of things on earth and things in heaven. Jesus talks about clothing. The treasure on earth might be clothing that would be or could be ruined by moths. At that time, fashions didn't change that often. Clothes would be handed down. I remember the hand-me-down phase of my own life. 
I have two older brothers, a whole bunch of male cousins. It took me a long time to learn that there were actually stores where things could be purchased, new things. I'd get a shirt, hmm, smells like my older brother. Well, maybe there's a hole in it. Let's throw it out. My clothing would not be treasured by anyone. But for some that are into fashion, into clothing, it is a treasure, something to be lived for. Rust. Jesus talking is talking about something that can uh, refer to the corrosion of metals. It can also refer to any devouring pest that may destroy what is on earth. So, for example, mat, uh, rats and mice can get into stored goods. Worms into buried goods. He's also talking about pests that destroy crops. At that time, even teeth could rust. That was the word that they used. He also talks about thieves breaking in. Uh, homes in Palestine would have had mud brick walls, and so things were stored in the home to keep them secure, and thieves could break in and steal. So what's the point? Treasure on earth is always for a season. It is always corruptible. It is always insecure. It is just that way. Nature and time will take care of what is on earth. So the next time you go by a garbage dump or a junkyard, just remember that people have actually given a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of money to buy those things that are now in the dump, rotting away. People have made life decisions. People have sacrificed time. They've given energy to what is wasting away. G- uh, James uses similar language to Matthew in James chapter 5, verse 2. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. So Jesus, how does one store up treasure on earth? How does that happen? Well, a treasure on earth can be anything outside of the reward that the Father wants to give us. So for example, we can live for material possessions. That's often what we think of when we read these verses. The accumulation of goods... You can live like I did or do to pay off a mortgage, and that can become a heart treasure. Academic degrees, we can live for the acknowledgement of a degree, the status that that will give us. We can even practice our righteousness for public acclaim. That's what Jesus talks about at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, that we can give to the needy, we can pray fast, do things that appear to be righteous for public acclaim, for the feeling of self-righteousness. We can live for the thrill of making a deal. We can live for a relationship. We can live for what we think to be a good family. We can live for a vacation, money, sex, fame. Anything on earth can become an earthly treasure. All of these things are corruptible, fleeting, insecure. What do we take from earth into eternity? Pastor James said this week that hearses do not have U-Hauls following them. No large funeral car will have something trailing behind. You don't go into an eternity with a vacation package coming behind you or some material good or a degree that doesn't go with you. Mark chapter 8. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus, or sorry, he said to them, it was Jesus speaking, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Okay, Jesus, so how do we store up treasure in heaven? Again, Jesus teaches that if we're following him, then we practice kingdom righteousness because of who the Father is. When we give to the needy, we are generous because the Father is generous. When we pray, we pray because the Father has actually invited us into his presence to have an intimate conversation with us. He has made us sons and daughters. And so we have this wonderful invitation to actually know him, to jump up on his lap, to grab him by the neck and be with him. We, our Father, if we, if we know him, we realize that he already knows what we need. And so when we do ask for things that we need here on earth, we pray with a confidence because God is our provider, our protector. He is present in our lives. We know that the Father is sovereign over all things. He's almighty. He has all of history in his hands. There's not a moment that escapes our Father. And we know that he's also good, that he's compassionate, that he's present. We're his children. We're sons and daughters. And that changes the way we see life. That changes our priorities. That changes what we give our minds to, how we invest our time, our energy, our finances. We live for kingdom priorities. We pray for the Father's loving agenda to be done here on earth. We pray for his name to be glorified, for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done. We seek to live for the Father's blessing. And of course, Jesus has made it clear who the blessed are. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you know the Father, you actually will be satisfied. And you will not hunger after treasure on earth. You will live with the knowledge that you will see God. And that will fill your vision. The reward of our Father in heaven is to know him, to be transformed into the likeness of his Son, and to experience the wonderful, wonderful presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Life. And because we know the Father, we're filled with this overwhelming compassion to share the good news of Jesus with others. We want more and more people to come under the reign of Jesus because that's where life is. And we invest in kingdom causes, the furtherance of the kingdom of earth, of God on earth. And we know that that investment is indestructible. It's secure. No need for insurance on that one. Now, whether we are valuing treasure in heaven or not. We, we make decisions around that every day. All the time we're making decisions around reward. Will we live for reward on earth or reward in heaven? How do we know where our treasure is? Well, look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's interesting that the location of the treasure precedes the location of the heart. Our heart will be where the treasure has been placed. So the disciple of Jesus is marked by 
kingdom significance. The disciple of Jesus lives for what is eternal, what is of kingdom significance. And the disciple of Jesus knows the principle that our hearts always follow our treasure. Our hearts always follow our investment of time, energy, and finances. We get that. Wes Holmstead, he's a professor, and he has said, your treasure has the capacity to pull your heart with it. That's why the place you choose to store treasure is so critically important. So throughout the scriptures, the heart is at the center of one's person, the center of one's being. When the scriptures talk about the heart, the scriptures are talking about the mind, the will, the emotions, the center of one's being. The heart carries what is of deepest value, what we truly believe in, what we most desire. John Calvin wrote, If honor is rated the highest good, then ambition must take complete charge of a man. If money, then forthwith greed takes over the kingdom. If pleasure, then men will certainly degenerate into sheer self-indulgence. And so you can look at your own life or the lives of those around you and discern whether people live for honor, for money, or for pleasure. Or do they live for treasure in heaven? How do we know whether our hearts are, sorry, our hearts are set in the right direction? Look at uh, verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So Jesus is saying that the eye is the lamp of the body. That the eye lets in light or darkness. Through the eye, the body finds its way. I don't know if you've been to an optometrist recently, but I'm amazed at what an optometrist can tell you about your health. Looking at your retina, an optometrist can tell you whether you have a healthy eye or not. And not only that, can tell you something about the health of your body. The optometrist can see signs of cancer or high cholesterol or diabetes. It's amazing what an optometrist can tell you about the health of your body. Jesus says, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. In Jewish literature, the eye is often equivalent to the heart. To fix the eye is to set the heart. For example, Psalm 119, verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. And so you see the parallelism. Jesus says the eye can be healthy or it can be bad. The word healthy, it means single-minded or undivided loyalty. Bad means evil or double-minded. When our eyes are good, we live for the Father's reward. We are focused on the glory of the Father, the kingdom, his will. When our eyes are bad, we don't see clearly. We suffer from impaired vision, and so our world gets really small, and we think about our own little thoughts, our own little will, our little kingdom, our little empire. That's what consumes us when our eyes are bad. A disciple of Jesus is marked by kingdom sight. Kingdom sight. 
The disciple of Jesus has the Father's vision and knows the principle that where we set our hearts determines our direction. Where we fix our eyes determines our investment of time, energy, and money. So, am I single-minded? Are you single-minded? Is my heart set on the Father's reward? Bono, he's the lead singer of uh, the group U2, uh, probably the most famous rock band of the last three decades. It seems like the U2 has been on tour my whole life. Right now, U2 is playing in Toronto. They're redoing the Joshua Tree Tour. If you're a U2 fan, that means something to you. If not, it means nothing. But um, Bono was reading the message, uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the scriptures. And the scriptures were coming alive for him, and so he thought, oh, I would love to meet Eugene Peterson. So he talks to a friend, a friend talks to Eugene Peterson, hey, Bono would like to meet you. And Eugene Peterson's response, I don't have time. I'm working on this project, doing this paraphrase of the scriptures, I really don't have time for Bono. And his friend said, what? What do you mean you don't want to meet Bono? Everybody on earth wants to meet Bono. What are you talking about? And Eugene Peterson said, Bono? Who's Bono? (laughs) Had no idea. Now don't come and talk to me after the message and give me your opinion about the message. That's not the point of the illustration. The point is that Eugene Peterson was so focused on what he considered to be a kingdom task that he was completely oblivious to what people around him were treasuring. And wouldn't it be wonderful to be so focused on the Father, His kingdom, His will, that we would be oblivious to what the world treasures? Wouldn't that be great? So Eugene Peterson, he did get together with Bono, and they did talk about the Psalms. You can see that on YouTube. That's just free information. It has nothing to do with the message. (laughs) Another way of interpreting healthy and bad Healthy can mean generous, generous. Bad can mean stingy, miserly. And so in Jewish literature, the stingy person had an evil eye, was spiritually and morally blind. In my little Mennonite subculture, stingy, it's reinterpreted as frugality. Maybe you come from a similar culture. So are we generous or stingy with time, with our passions, with our finances? How would we evaluate that? Well, we can just look at our calendars. Where do you invest your best time? Your best time, your best energy. What do you do with your spare time? That discretionary time that we all have. What do you do with it? Your credit card statement, look at it. Where do you spend your money? To which causes do you give? If you just look at your calendar and your credit card statement, you'll have a pretty good understanding of what is important to you in life, what you truly value. Jesus says something sobering in verse 23. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So we may think we have light, 
But if the light within us is actually darkness, how great is the darkness? Because we'll be blind to it. We actually won't recognize it. We'll be like the religious leaders in in John chapter 9. At the end of John chapter 9, the religious leaders are in conversation with Jesus. Jesus has just healed a man born blind. So the man blind his whole life, he's healed by Jesus, and the religious leaders are unable to praise God for that. They actually are critiquing Jesus, and as they talk to him, they say, we see. Remarkable. They actually think that they see. So we may be like those religious leaders. The fact that we see something doesn't mean that we actually see what happened. Say, no, no, Jesus, I saw. I saw with my own eyes. I saw it happen. And Jesus would probably come to us and say, actually, you didn't see. Because you, in your heart, you have resentment. You have anger. You have bitterness. There is no way that you can see see clearly. What you think is light is actually darkness. So how do we ensure that our eyes are healthy? As disciples of Jesus, where do we go for light? Where do we find a clear vision of God's will? Well, the scriptures say in James that the Father is the Father of lights, that every good and perfect gift comes down from him. The Father sent Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Will have the light of life. And Jesus says later on in that same chapter, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So when we invite Jesus into our lives, when we invite the light of the world to enter our lives, when we submit to him as Lord, receive him as Savior, Father and Son send the Holy Spirit to live within us. And the Holy Spirit is present within us to lead us into truth. The Father reveals to us the truth about himself, about us, about the world around us. We abide in the word. The disciple of Jesus has his heart set on the word of God. And often as we abide in the word of Jesus, it will be revealed to us that we need to forgive, that we have placed our treasure in the wrong place, that we need to be delivered from evil, the evil within us, the evil in the world, the evil of the spiritual realm. A disciple of Jesus has set his heart, her heart, on kingdom significance, on what truly has value eternally. A disciple of Jesus is gifted with kingdom sight by the Holy Spirit. And all of this is based on one final thought, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. John Stott has written, commenting on this verse, Jesus now explains that behind the choice between two treasures, where we lay them up, and two visions, where we fix our eyes, there lies the still more basic choice between two masters. Whom are we going to serve? Whom are we going to serve? 
basic choice. Mammon, it's a, it's a Semitic word. Uh, in both Hebrew and Aramaic, at the root of the word is the thing in which one places one's confidence. And so where does your confidence lie? Where does my confidence lie? In God or in mammon? The word mammon meaning money, property, belongings. Now, we need to ask the question, what did the scriptures say about money? First of all, it would be foolish to say that wealth itself becomes evil. The scriptures do not prohibit possessions. They do not prohibit private property. Money is neither good nor bad. But the love of evil, or sorry, the love of wealth is a great evil. If wealth becomes our heart treasure, it will consume us. It will devour us. Now, both rich and poor can love money. A poor person can covet what the rich person has. A poor person's whole life can be devoted to the accumulation of things. And so it's not about being rich and poor. It is, where is our heart treasure? The scriptures require us to provide for relatives. They commend work, provision for the future. That is considered wisdom. The Bible encourages us to enjoy the good things that the Father has created. Asceticism is not equivalent to righteousness in the scriptures. Having said this, confidence in money, belongings, property, whatever we might accumulate, this is a global thing. Sometimes we talk about North American culture being so materialistic. People around the globe, every people group, every culture are materialistic. Jesus says, the Gentiles seek after all these things. And it's very true. You can go to Europe, you can go to Africa, you can go to Asia, North America, South America, Australia. Only in Antarctica, no one is going after money. Actually, there are about 4,000 scientists in Antarctica, so probably even there. People live for mammon. The word serve here, it means be enslaved. What Jesus is saying here is that we will all be enslaved to something or someone. We will worship something or someone. That is just the way that we are. Both God and money are portrayed not as employers, but as slave owners. The slave is the exclusive property of a slave owner. A slave owner demands exclusive service. Jesus talks about hating the one, loving the other. To hate is to disregard one master. To love is to be committed to the other. He talks about devotion, despising. To be devoted is to hold fast to one, to stick by one. To despise is to look down on the other. And Jesus says, you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't be somewhere in between. You can't live with a divided heart. You cannot serve two masters. You simply cannot. Don't even try. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, our hearts have room for one all-embracing devotion. Only one. One all-embracing devotion. Well, you and I might think this way. Actually, weekends, church services, totally devoted to God. Small group, that fits in there as well. But during the week, the world of academia, work, I don't know. There are some other forces at work. It's kind of a gray zone. Interesting story from the Middle Ages. This is probably legend. But 
It's said that during the 12th, you know, 11th and 12th centuries, the Crusaders, they wanted to uh, wrest control uh, of, the, of Israel and parts of the Middle East, take it back from the Muslims. And so they went to battle. They didn't have enough people to fight with them. And so they would get mercenaries to fight with them. And some of these mercenaries were not Christians. And so they had to be baptized prior to battle. And so when the mercenaries got baptized, they'd go under the water, but they'd hold their swords out of the water so that the sword would not come under the lordship of Christ. They could use it as they wanted. And I wonder, I mean, an interesting picture. I wonder if sometimes when we get baptized, we're holding maybe our wallet out of the water or we're holding our calendar or whatever it is, some passion out of the water. Something that is not given completely to Jesus. God demands exclusive allegiance. This is not a percentage question. Jesus doesn't say, give me 10%. How about 30? That would be wonderful. 50, amazing. Give me 50%. It's not a percentage question. Jesus isn't asking for 50, not even 70%. He's saying, yield yourself completely to me. That's wisdom. Because everything is the Father's anyways. Cannot serve God and money. Jesus doesn't say, you should not. He says, you cannot. You actually cannot. So don't fool yourself. Don't live in foolishness. You can't. The disciple of Jesus is marked by kingdom slavery. Has learned the principle that our hearts cannot live for God and for something else. Cannot. One of the best ways to enthrone God in our lives is to dethrone mammon and give generously. Every time that we give, it's an act of worship. We're saying, Father, you're on the throne in my life. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Mammon, be dethroned. That's one of the best ways to disempower mammon in our lives, to give generously. Sometimes we think, no, I can actually sit on the fence. Jesus would say, actually, there's no fence to sit on. Don't think that you can straddle a fence with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in mammon. You can't. There's no fence to sit on. D.A. Carson has written, Attempts at divided loyalty betray not partial commitment to discipleship, but deep-seated commitment to idolatry. That's a profound statement. Attempts at divided loyalty betray not partial commitment to discipleship, which is where we often like to go when we think about our Christian lives, but deep-seated commitment to idolatry. So in a world of idols, how do we know whether we have idols or not? Well, we can ask ourselves some very basic questions. What gives us the most joy? Where do our passions lie? What do we get most passionate about? What actually gives us a sense of security? What do we fear losing the most? And if our answers to those questions are something other than Jesus, then we are idolaters. That's just who we are. We live in a world of idolatry. We live in a world enslaved to idolatry. And so how do we escape? Well, Jesus would say, pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we pray that prayer, truly pray that prayer, we're reminded of who the Father is. We submit to his wonderful, loving agenda. We remember that he is actually reigning over all things, that he does care deeply about us, that we are his treasured possession, his sons and daughters, and that we can trust him to provide. We abide in his word. We allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to ask us those heart questions. As we abide in the Word and we come before the Father in prayer, the Holy Spirit will illumine us, enlighten us, show us where we have given ourselves to idols, will reveal to us the evil inclinations of our hearts, the way that the enemy is influencing, the way that the world around us is influencing, and we will realize that the choice is obvious. We will turn from sin. We will repent for idolatry. It's a daily thing. It's not just once in your life that you repent for idolatry. It's a daily walk. And as we repent, we commit to live for kingdom significance. Oh, Jesus, help me live for what is eternal. Oh, God, give me your vision for this day, for this world. Give me kingdom sight. Remove the darkness from my heart. I submit to you again, Lord. I walk as your slave because no other one is worthy of my worship. No one else is worthy to be my treasure. Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. So, Father, we confess that our hearts easily go in the wrong direction. And we thank you that you've drawn us to yourself by your spirit. We would never find you on our own. We're here by your grace. And, Lord, it's by your grace that we walk. We thank you, Father, that you will complete the work in us that you have begun. Thank you. So, Lord, may we walk faithfully. May we submit ourselves to you daily. Lord, remove the idols from our hearts, from our minds, from our souls. May we live for your glory with all that we have because life is in you. And so many need to know you, Jesus, and so may we be what you've called us to be, the light of the world, the salt of the earth in our day. Here in Burnaby, wherever we might be, You deserve all the glory. So now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great weekend.